very good morning to you. Hope everyone safe and well. And and hello and welcome to this week's the Football Digest podcast. And once again, in very esteemed company, my Daily Mirror. Uh, Chief Sports Writer colleague Andy Dunn, uh, Jeremy Cross, uh, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star, Football Ispinado, Rothman Collective Supreme, Matt Dunn of the Daily Express um, as well joining us. And guys, I, I know you've seen the script, but people at home might not realise that some planning actually goes into this um, show each week. We do set out an agenda, we do set out a running order, and um, here we go. So we're going to start with the fallout from Man United being Sheffield United. And it says on the running order, which was sent out last night, assuming they regain top spot, champions-elect, straight shootout in Manchester for the title. Hmm, what could possibly go wrong? So I do think we'll be examining the... the. Um, I have to say, I thought the result of the season so far, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you guys to disagree. Uh, Chelsea, what a week that was. Right, thank Frank Lampard. Andy Dunn has finally got his way. Bullying, bullying, bullying poor old Lamps and bringing in Thomas Tuchel. Um, everyone's, you know, easygoing, calm, you know, very, very smooth running. No problems there with the board at all. Thomas Tuchel, oh no, what could co- possibly go wrong? West Ham, the Moisaya, we'll be looking at that. And also, of course, Liverpool Spurs. Um, and, and really what the fortunes are for those two teams. Do you remember about a month or so ago, those two teams met in a top-of-the-table clash? Now it feels almost a bit mid-table, doesn't it? Blow. Strange how things go, really, with a, with a few results. And, uh, of course, they'll be looking to turn it around uh, very, very quickly. But, guys, let's start, really, uh, where the action was uh, last night, really, and particularly Old Trafford. I have to say, I kind of, you know, I watched the I watched the the, the Chelsea Wolves game on on the telly, and I was thinking, oh, God, this is a bit dull, really. I'm not too sure about the eight fifteen. Not a great sort of kind of selection of uh, of games there. Where, bearing in mind, you know, you had a thrill at Burnley Villa, didn't you? And then basically, you, you know, the Chelsea game was the main one. And then you're thinking, Man United, Sheffield United, well, a bit of a waste of time. What could possibly happen there? Where's the drama coming from? And then you get that, which I have to say just sums up the crazy, crazy nature of the season. How on earth Sheffield United uh, won that game? Jeremy, you were there. Let's start with you. You know, come on, tell us. I mean, really, did you see that one coming? What was the fallout? No, I got out of my car at Old Trafford. I bumped into Andy and we were just, <laughs> just anticipating a run-of-the-mill evening, a 3 or 4 nil win for United, and then everything went wrong. It was bizarre, really, like you said, in a in a in a in the weirdest season of all. You were just when you thought things couldn't get any stranger, then Sheffield United go to Old Trafford and win for the first time in the league for forty eight years. I mean, they're, they're they're doomed. I mean, look, they had their moment in the sun last night, United, and they were worthy winners. Hmm. You know, and fair play to them. I like Chris Wilder a lot. They were good value. They were well organised, stubborn at the back. Jaggy Elka at 38 was marshalling the troops. So when I saw the team line up for a kickoff, I thought, mm, Marcus Rashford v Phil Jaggy Elka, that's going to be cruel. But actually, the total opposite happened. Rashford was anonymous, pretty much. I was going to say to you at that point, was Marcus Rashford playing? <laughs> well, he had a knee niggle uh, that he picked up in the win over Liverpool last weekend. And I did, look, he, he must have been fit because he, he started, but he didn't look fit to me. I don't know what done anything, but he was, by his standards, he was way off the pace. There were too many big players for United last night that didn't show up. I mean, Fernandez was 
really, really bad. Look, he's he can't perform miracles every week, and it just shows you that when he doesn't perform, what United are lacking in uh, in terms of chemistry and creativity and artistry, because he is the fulcrum of that team. Um, they were just off it last night. There was no purpose to the play, no zip about their attacking play. The mid- I would have brought Cavani on much sooner, actually, if I knew yeah. Solskjaer, uh, to just give him some urgency. Um, I mean, it's a great story. Look, it's, it's, I won't say it's blown the title away. It's wide open because it's, it's wide open as it is as it was, but it's a huge blow for United because that's three points down the drain and, you know, they would have been back top of the league. City now a point clear. Um, with a game in hand. So for me, the, the, well, look, City were the favourites to win it before last night, but even more so now. So it was a real shock. Yeah, the shock of the season by a country mile. Yeah. Andy, go, go along with that. What on earth went yeah. wrong with United? Was that attitude as well? You know, a bit yeah. complacent maybe? Attitude, team selection and performance. Um, everything that Jeremy says there, really. Um, listen, for start off, two of the best performers, I would say, in recent weeks have probably been Edison Cavani and, and Luke Shaw, neither started the game. Yeah. Now, I understand maybe he wants to get games into Tellez, but, you know, Shaw, Shaw has been outstanding in recent games. You know, you, know, you, you play him, he brought him on eventually, but it was it was way too late when he brought him and Van der Beek on. Obviously, Cavani was already on. Then when he when he sends Cavani on, how, how can you take Mason Greenwood off ahead of either, either Anthony Martial or Marcus Rashford, either of whom did absolutely nothing, I mean, and could have been taken off? I didn't understand... Greenwood being replaced, he looked the most dangerous um, threat. He looked the most likely to score. Fernandez has again, as Jeremy says, you know, had a very poor game. Now, what what he's been having poor games, but then he's been getting out of that by producing a a game changing moment. You know, he wasn't great against Liverpool, but he scored the free kick that won the game. We've seen that many many times with him. I mean, he, he literally could not pass to another red shirt last night. Mm-hmm. Um, Pogba after a brightest start was off the boil. Um, and yes, you mentioned attitude. I do think there was an overall air of complacency, which is betrayed by the team selection. You know, he mm. didn't pick his best team. You know, mm. I think if you're on a roll, you know, and okay, you've got a game on Saturday away at Arsenal, but it's Arsenal. It's, you know, it's 5.30 on a Saturday night. It's, you know, all teams have got these games coming thick and fast. I think you go with it. I, I really do. And I, th- I think the team selection, although while you wouldn't say it was radically altered, and it was a radical insult to Sheffield United. It was changed. It was not their best team. And that showed in, in, in the way they played, you know. And that was a moment for Solskjaer to, to reclaim top spot, to say, you know, we're going nowhere. And instead, it was a performance, you know, that only served, really, to remind you that, actually, you know what, they do have these games, United. I mean, I think they've lost four at home now this season. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're not on such a... You know, maybe maybe they're not as 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 fearsome as, as maybe we we thought over this over this very good run. It was certainly you know a, a wake up call, particularly when you're going to Arsenal. Wouldn't you rather go into Arsenal having picked your best team and on some sort of roll with some momentum behind you? Because it's going to be a difficult game. You know, Arsenal mm-hmm. have already beaten United Old Trafford this season. They've been on a good run in the Premier League, and now United go there on the back of this. I mean, again, we should we should always again, as Jeremy said, we should always caveat this with. Sheffield United were good last night. I was really impressed mm-hmm. with them last night. They're, they were very well organised. They had a threat on the break. They had some pace on the break, I thought, as well. There was a couple of times when they broke sort of one-on-one, and I thought they might have got a bit of joy. I think Matic made a good tackle at one stage. Um, I think it was maybe McBride, he, he, um, he halted. And I thought they had a, a bit of threat on the break. They were incredibly well organised defensively. The only time they got caught out was, you know, from a very good header from Maguire from the corner. 
I do believe actually that that, that um, it was a foul, Maguire's on on the goalkeeper, but you know that's the mind you share of the game. So I think Sheffield United were very well organised. They were they were they were good in midfield, but they took advantage simply of the United side that simply were basically only operating at about seventy five percent. Did you uh, did what did you think of the if you thought that one was a foul? Both were, but I, I think both were correct. I, I thought Maguire fouled two people. Both should have stood. No, 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 no. I think Maguire's. Um, I think Martial, of course, who, who tapped the ball in after Maguire had challenged both the defender and then Aaron Ramsdale. I think think that they they were fouls. And I don't. I, don't, think it was a, I really don't. And I don't think it was a foul on De Gea. No, I really don't. You got nowhere near the ball. I, I, I mean, must, I, you know. I must say, I thought that you know the difference between Sheffield United and l- l- last season and this season. You know, what one of the key obvious, you know, obvious ones is is the goalkeeper. I do think. You know, Henderson was a bag of confidence and, and an outstanding well, performer last year, and Ramsdale's really struggled. Ramsdale's been suspect this season. Yeah, he, he, he didn't have much to do last night, did he? Didn't he, didn't, really? did, he, he didn't, did he? Jeremy? I, I think he did look nervous every time he did. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? I, I actually think, John, I, I actually think on that particular incident you're referring to, when when you know United fans on social media in particular thought that um, it was no infringements and Marshall's goal should I didn't have think it was. It. Well, I mean, I, I did. I mean, so we'll agree to disagree on that one. But I, I, I just think that apart from that, he actually came quite well for crosses, particularly second half. You know, he actually came, he was loud. He came, he, he, he was quite decisive. We could hear him from where, where we were sat and, and, and up in the stand there. And um, I, I thought he was, I, I thought he, I thought he was okay. I mean, I mean, as for De Gea, that's another subject. I know one of our colleagues today, I, I was trying to. I was trying. I can't, can't remember who, who wrote it today. I think it might have been Mark Ogden was was highlighting De Gea's um, suspect contribution last night. You know, yeah. and that dilemma, that that situation goes on, doesn't it? You know, we're, we're talking. You know, will Ole actually ever take the plunge and say, "Is a run in the Premier League for Dean Henderson?" And yeah. if not, what's Dean Henderson going to do? That's another story, I guess. Well, De Gea remains his number need- one, doesn't he? And I don't think. Well, what's Henderson doing there then? Yeah, well, look, he probably would have been that himself, and he's a cup. He's, he's basically yeah. their cup goalkeeper, isn't he? Yeah. He's got to. He's got to be. He's got to but be challenging, really. He's Euro Matt, 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 at risk, isn't yeah, he? Matt, I have to offer me apologies. There, he's been busily sipping on an energy drink there, trying to stay awake while we before we come to. Yeah. Well, there you go. Oh, yeah, other brands, other brands are available. Um, but um, uh, listen, I, 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 where, where are United now? Is that is that always the Achilles' heel? Can we trust Man United? Can we trust Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Because last week I was saying they're in this title race. How can how can you possibly doubt it? And then they go and lose at home to Sheffield United. Can we trust them? Uh, well, that's their, where they are now. Is a point behind proven winners in Manchester City. You've now got a game in hand. I mean, mm-hmm. it's ludicrous how strong City's claim is now looking. <laughs> uh, bearing in mind where they were just a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And it does tell you that if you know what you're doing and you feel confidence within yourself, you can build a title challenge from nowhere this season. Uh, and, and suddenly, you know, City seven points ahead of Liverpool, I think it is. Uh, and they're, they're looking a shoe in now for another title. Uh, and that's without a striker who can score any goals. So, I mean, it's got to come from that belief that you can churn out results. And no one ever looks at United and says, you know, if they get a few wins, you think, oh, they could go on a run now. No, they've had their run because there's these hiccups along the way that they keep stumbling into. Uh, and and the same with all the other teams that have hit the top. And and I have to say, you know, United could could edge it in a sort of a, a run-in at the end, 
but mm. but but City look like they're going to stride away now. If, if more than anything, you don't get that feeling about any of the other challengers. No, City no, play uh, Sheffield United on yes. at the weekend, and they'll probably <laughs> dispatch them four or five nil. Yeah. And you, that that will that will that will be the microcosm of where we're at with United and um, City. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Jez, I was at I was at the Hawthorns the other night. Yeah, I was. I mean, I I have to say, I've never. I've never wavered from absolutely loving Manchester City and Pep Guardiola at their absolute peak. Please don't get me wrong. But even I, who think that thinks that, that Guardiola, you know, is an absolute genius, you know, I was doubting him in the first season. I have to hold, hold up my hands whether he was right for City or whether he was right for English football. But, I mean, they were playing the best football, particularly in that first half, that I've seen from a City team since either of their back-to-back title successes. They were mind-blowing. Even the fifth goal, you know, in the second half was textbook Guardiola. You know, and Gungadon, who we must, you know, highlight, uh, you know, he's he's having the best goals return, you know, of his City career. I mean, they're, they're on a different level, aren't they, to the rest of the Premier League? Yeah, they are. Look, they look, I've seen them... Quite a few times recently, they look they look in that groove that they had two seasons ago. You know, when they were pretty much unstoppable. I think they won what for the last fourteen games to put Liverpool to the title and make it back to back triumphs. They what's amazing about them is they are doing all this without arguably one of the greatest strikers to ever grace English football in Sergio Aguero. Mm. I mean, most teams on the planet would not be able to cope without. His goals. He scores so many goals for them. Um, and now De Bruyne's obviously out injured for up to six weeks, which is a huge blow, but they just keep rolling on. Mm. I mean, look, West Brom are a shambles of a, of a team oh. at home, aren't they? You, let's be honest. They've, I think they've conceded more goals at home than any other team in Europe. So they're probably going to get relegated. So you've got to gauge it against the fact that West Brom are a very poor team. Um still coming to terms with Sam's new um, approach but yeah look for me they are they are nailed on Gundogan is Guardiola's go-to player he, yeah. he plays mm. him so much it became a standing joke actually with the Manchester boys just saying look Gundogan's playing again what does he do well actually if you watch him play he is actually a Rolls Royce of a midfielder he does, does the stuff that you don't really notice because you're looking at the De Bruyne's the Sterling's you know, the Foden's of this world, but he's the, he's the engine room, um, the link between defence and attack. He's a great player. And he's, I think he's got seven in 10 now. So look, yeah. they, they, they have the benefit of having goals from five or six different sources. And that yeah. probably will be the difference between them and Liverpool and United at the end of the season. Because Liverpool obviously relies so much on their front three. And when they're not scoring goals, as we've seen in recent weeks, this really struggle to win games. United rely heavily on Rashford, obviously, but sure. they have, you know, they have multiple sources of goals that Guardiola will never be concerned about where, where, how they're going to win games. Can, can I can I just clarify one thing? Rather cocking a snoop from my Cockney luxury pad up against you, you Northern writers. Tell me the Manchester pack weren't 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 doubting Ilkay Gungadon's good quality. If only I could say his name. <laughs> I don't know. You better ask Jeremy. He's, he, he's best Jeremy. To say that. Please tell me. No, we never doubted him. I'll tell you why. I'm, I'm rather fixated on this player because I thought he was the um, unbelievable pivot and he was the six. He was the anchor in Klopp's Dortmund team. 
Okay. Oh, he's getting all the hipster on us now. Oh, mate, I'm going tactical. And I love <laughs> that. that me, I mate. thought he was the absolute epitome of what an anchorman midfielder should be. Beautiful. Sits there, breaks it up, pass, pass, pass. Beautiful. Yeah, he does the basics and now really, he's really well. He's evolved, yeah. isn't he, yeah. at City in number eight? He's, I mean, he's, he's more forward now. Yeah. No, but standing joke was that he played week in, week out, and it's easy to sort of overlook what he does and... We were probably naive in what we said, but the joke was, why is he? Why does he keep picking him? You know, why don't you give him a rest? He's he's not really turning it on because we were all focused on the big names, and he's not one of their big names, really. He should be because he's a German international, one God knows how many caps, and he's a wonderful player. But no, when we couldn't understand, we we decided that he was he was he was sort of um, he was Guardiola's pet favorite. But I mean, look, he's having the last laugh now because he's basically driving him on, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Jokes, are plenty, jokes are plenty there up north. Right, um, and, 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 and Danny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andy, do you, do you go along with that? The sort of yeah. kind of city, city outstanding favourites? We always laugh at their odds, don't we? But Yes, I, I, I did notice the odds this morning that they are they are two to seven, seven to two on to win the title, you know, and, and three or four weeks ago, um, you know, there was conversations being had as to whether they'd finished top four. I mean, it's a, it's a remarkable turnaround in the sense that they've strong wins together and the rest have faltered. I, w- I would just say the difference is uh, as well, quickly on Gundahan, I think I think what people were thinking earlier in the season is, why does it is it not just a little bit negative? Well, not negative, but not as positive as Guardiola normally is when they play Gundahan and Rodri in the, in, in, in the same, a double pivot, as you would like to call it, in the same team. Um, two slightly defensive midfielders, but of course, Gundogan is now proving that he's far from a defensive midfielder. What I would say is that the world of difference with City clearly is, is defensively. They've got a defense now that the rest of the team trusts. How many times did you see the rest of the team think, you know, if we make a mistake here and these this defense exposed, we're done for? You know, teams will hit us on the break. Leicester hit them for five, and almost every single goal, including the penalty, was a defensive error. You know, they didn't know where that. They were all at sea. And now they have a defence that the rest of the team and Guardiola absolutely mm-hmm. trust. You look at City scores now, and you actually think to yourself, if you're not at the game, you know what, I don't think they're going to concede. I always think City are going to concede. Not anymore, because they've got, you know, the difference that Ruben Diaz has made, the difference his partnership with Stones has made. Yeah, The development of Cancelo, you know, even Zinchenko looks fairly, you know, I say they don't have a lot of defending to do. However... They do seem to have a first-choice defensive unit that is absolutely loving defending and is actually, you know, actually liking clean sheets. You know, and you can tell that in the in, in the interaction between that defensive unit. And, once, and, and, and if City get that, then mm. they're on unbeatable, aren't they? I mean, let's face yeah. it. If, if, if they are not conceding one, two, three goals, then they are they, they are they are virtually unbeatable. I mean, we yeah. saw that as well. You know, the, the, the game for me wasn't a Premier League game. The game for me is when they went to Old Trafford and basically, you know, efficiently took Manchester United apart in that EFL Cup semi-final. You know, that then reminded you there is still a gap. What reminded me of the gap was that I was at Cheltenham Town last Saturday and they made 10 changes. And that side was a very, very good side, you know, and had a hiccup, but then eventually got through. They've got enormous strength in depth and they've now got a defence that is trusted by... All everyone in the squad by their coaching staff, and if that defense stays as it is, then it, it is hard to see now anyone else win the title. 
Crossy, just to big up your, your favourite, new favourite player, Gundogan, even not more. New, Jeremy, not news. He not is. News. He's just announced that he's doing a charity thing where he's auctioning off all his shirts that he wears and his boots that he plays in yeah. to raise money for the hospitality trade in Manchester, which should raise quite a lot of money because obviously they're also closed down to COVID. And he's also auctioning off a one-on-one with him when, when that's allowed. Yeah. So he's all, all around good egg. Right, yeah. you, put, you put in for that? You bid for that, yeah? Jeremy? Or... I can't afford and, it, Crossy. I don't know as much as you. He's done enough for the hospitality trade over the years to raise money for them. <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> three weeks bum, bum. Three weeks dry. And... <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum. You set them up. But... <laughs> and also, also, Jeremy, he, he, I noticed on social media he's, he's been having, um, he's been in touch with with Colin Bell's family as well. Oh, Obviously, really, him wearing right. the, the eight shirts and he's going to get them yeah. to the game um, when it comes. So, yes, all round. He's, had, he's, had, he's also had two serious injuries since he joined City. So and COVID. You know, and and COVID. And I do think the, the injuries have really held him back. I mean, there's a, there's this famous story, isn't there, about the um, about his time at Dortmund when, when there's this amazing picture of him basically having been about a year out sitting in kebab house. But that's it. He enjoyed the hospitality, but, should we say, in Dortmund, let alone Manchester. But Crossy, this, this is a guy I love so much. I do, and it, you know, I think he's, I think he's terrific. In, and it's good to see him getting a bit of praise. In, that, in, in what, what Jeremy refers to there about him, about this charity, this fundraiser mm. he's doing, he does actually say, doesn't he? How, how, how normally he just spends his time going around all the cafes and restaurants of Manchester, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And loves that, loves that sort of culture. So yeah, 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 yeah no, it, no, it is a nice one. I think you raise a great point about Cancelo and Zinchenko. I mean, particularly Zinchenko. I think he could be really rash. Uh, and yet, yes. the, the presence of Ruben Diaz has absolutely... It's a calmness um, to them, isn't you know, it? Yeah. You know, he's, 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 you Even know. Stones, who was always... His Achilles heel was always... You knew he had one ricking him per game. A wonderful mm. player up the ball, Stones. We all know that. But he, he would make a... When he made a mistake, it would be a big one. It would be costly. Mm. He's eliminated that. And I think Diaz has brought a calmness to Stones' as defending as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, there you go. Matt, I feel we haven't done you proper justice so far in this well, show. Well, I didn't get to watch that game last night. Uh, no, so I'm going to come to you now, please, if I may, for a new Got section, it. because you were at Stanford Bridge last night. Yes. And, I, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the sort of kind of the second coming, it feels like a little bit. And uh, because, you know, goodbye Frank Lampard this week. We said goodbye to a, a club legend. I've been I've been shedding a tear. Make no bones about that. I think it's too rash. Too, no, I've done it. But Thomas Tuchel comes in and, you know, it's a new era for Chelsea. Obviously, it was, a, it was a bit rushed. He takes his first training session Tuesday night. He's in the dugout. You know, normally the unveiling would come before the first game. It's coming this afternoon. Um, but just try and paint us a picture. Matt, of, of, of Chelsea last night, of Thomas Tuchel before and after, what was it like, the whole the whole thing? Were you impressed by him? What, what did you make? Overall, I just got the sense the whole thing was chaotic. That's probably the one word that I'd use and a, and a muddle. I think I did use in my match report. Um, it just, it was too rushed, his appointment. He'd had one training session. He admitted himself he almost picked the team combined, you know, on the basis of how old they were and how experienced they were. Um, 
It didn't work in the first half. Andy would have loved it. The 433 <laughs> passes in the first half, more than any Chelsea team's done since they bothered to count them. But most of them, yeah, these were passes in the sense that Mr. Bean in Mastermind passes, that it was because they didn't know the right answers. They were just knocking the ball anywhere. And the number of times you saw uh, Havertz play the ball 15 yards backwards and throw his arms up in the air because there was no one making the runs. It was just, it was an impressively... A dominant mess, but it but it was still a mess uh, and very dreary to watch because Wolves were as well organised as they always mm. are, uh, and they they just weren't hurting them. And uh, the only player who showed any sort of energy and zip was Callum Hudson Odoi, really. Um, and and to be honest, Chelsea got better in the second half, but really only came alive when Mason Mount came on for the last eight minutes. Uh, mm. And he's the one player that he'd made. He'd obviously made a decision to drop the one player who's played in all bar two of. Chelsea's games under Lampard this season it's almost like making a point to the that this was a new era uh, and he came on they suddenly looked a bit more lively and a bit more um, purposeful uh, and then Tammy Abraham came on with a bit more life I mean I like Giroud but he he was just he just solidified everything at the top as well Tammy Abraham was on and you think do you know what perhaps what Chelsea need is a manager who, who can give some of those young players their head and uh, get them in the team and, and going and you think well wasn't that Frank Lampard in the first place so mm. the whole thing is a mess he's no doubt he ends up with Callum Hudson-Odoi playing as a sort of uh, a left back come wing back on a rotate what seemed to be a rotating back four back five and you think Right, okay. And this is after what, one hour on of training. Uh, and I'm sure it will make sense eventually uh, and it will get better. But, you know, Timo Werner, who's the guy who's supposed to be getting to score, he left on the bench. So I don't know how he's going to score from there. Um, and the whole thing was just a mess. They didn't deserve to win the game. They played the better football. Um, but, but yeah, they didn't do enough to break Wolves. Uh, and, and I think they've got a long way to go. <laughs> and, yeah, it just seems to be moving Tuchel's going 19 to the dozen on the touchline. He just seems to be trying to go too fast for everyone. And, and the players need to take a breath and work out what's going on. Um, yeah. And I think it could take a while to get his imprint, what he's trying to do onto the team. And then it's up to the players. And so far they've not produced. And, you know, if you can get them to produce, then yeah, it's a, it's a managerial masterstroke. Otherwise, he's, 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 he's imprint, his DNA or philosophy on, on, on teams in the past has always been a high energy and a press. Hmm. You know, you've seen them as much as well. Uh, sure. Presti told us afterwards that with the energy, because they made um, 16 recoveries in the final third, I think, well, that's what the fans were talking about that I was listening to on the radio phone-in shows. <laughs> you know, if, he, if he's could thinking you, that, Could you see, could you see the evidence of that, though? Could you? I mean, could you? No, Because, I mean, really. you, couldn't, you know, if it does take, indeed, some time to... Because we can't expect them to do it in one training no, session, can we? No, well, no, exactly. I, I thought that but, what, the early on, I thought you could see Giroud maybe sort of hunting down yeah. a little bit or, you know, whatever. But it's just... It's going to take bit. time, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is going to take time. And the first half, they were just running around like headless chickens passing yeah. to each other. Uh, and putting a lot of energy into that. And, yeah, and then gradually as they, they became more purposeful, they made a bit of an imprint on the game, but but nothing particularly dangerous. Um, as it was, Wolves hit the bar at the other end. And, uh, you know, it could have been stolen away from them. And I think then there'd be a lot more criticism this morning than perhaps he's getting, uh, mm. certainly at the mess that they've landed them in. Um, yeah. What would you like to talk to? 
What, 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 um, what was he, you know, sort of, obviously I know we're going to hold it up, we'll hold out a little bit more extensively later, won't we? But pre-match, post-match, what was he? Yeah, was he I mean, like? it's okay, but Zoom, you can't really make judgments over sure. a Zoom call after a match. Yeah, he was, you know, obviously his, his language skills aren't an issue. Um, you know, he, he, he talked energetically and the rest of it, but he did talk heavily tactically, which I don't know if that's going to suit a Premier League audience. Are you two on the Zoom with him this afternoon, you two London boys? Uh, yes, he's uh, he's been unveiled to the press formally at 1.30 this afternoon. Why don't one of you ask him if he fears for his job after that disappointing uh, goal? <laughs> yeah. okay, I've got two minutes passes. Pass, pass, yeah. pass. Yeah. It'll never catch on. The thing, the thing is... It, it, I, wasn't I just square, it was the backwards ones as well. It was just, yeah, it was passing for the sake of passing. I just didn't think there was any, any incision there. You know, no. to really cut. You know, basically, just just the square passes and the no runners and and Havertz. I thought, do you know what I thought? Havertz. That was the most energetic, and that was yes. the best performance that I've seen him play. It's not saying a, it's not I saying a lot. Say, that's, really yeah. not saying a lot. That but I half thought, open door. Do you know what? Fair, I thought yeah. a few people turned up last night who haven't shown him last few weeks. Him being the prime example, I thought. But, but, but the, the one who made three runs that actually penetrated the Wolves' defence. In those eight minutes, was Mason Mount down the channel? So yeah, they did, find made him. a difference. Didn't they, it? Uh, and yeah, and uh, and Hudson Odoi was busy as well. And you just think, well, hang on a sec. These are the kids that Lampard was mm. sacked for for trusting. And uh, yeah, it's clear did, that he's you been- think that Tuchel had an instant reaction to Mount to say to Mount, what, "Do you do you believe the theory that he had a slight knock and maybe, or do you believe that oh, that I was a reaction?" I think he would have spoken to Mount. I think he'd have spoken to Mount. Uh, you know, if he's anything like the manager that, that he portrays himself to be, then he would have spoken to him out and explained the decision because he did see, he did admit on the television before, it's an unfair selection decision because I just haven't seen the players. And I don't think it's going to be a long time. And I think having seen those eight minutes, I think Mount has played his way back into the team again. But it was a cheap way of him making a point. This is my team now. Um, and I think also Werner on the bench was a way, just subtly, of just telling Abramovich, you know, we'll do it in my pay, you know, in my way. You know, I know you've brought me in to get this guy scoring, but I'm not just going to chuck him in. It's, it's not another Shevchenko or whatever that, that mm. you're going to make me stick in the team. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do it my way. And, and yeah, it was his kind of imprint and perhaps things will settle down a bit. He just seemed to be a bit manic trying to do too many things at once mm. in 24 hours. And yeah. <laughs> And results need to pick up because it became clear from just the little bits that were said around the game that that, that top four place is very much his instruction yeah. this yeah. season. He's Absolutely. been brought in because they didn't think Lampard was going to get there and his job is to make sure they get in there and then yeah. fight for next season. <clears throat> Andy, sorry, I'll keep mm. on... No, 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 no. I, I mean, no I'm, I'm, I'm full of admiration for so much to be read into one game the guy's only been there 24 hours it's absolutely sensational amount being read into well, that's the kind of that's the analysis I mean, I mean, I, I, that we expect from it, it is it's superb it, it's absolutely superb he's, he's, already, he's already sending out a, a message to Roman Abramovich <laughs> 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 I mean, I but now listen I, I, all, all I would say is that I'm full of admiration for the fact that he actually took charge of the game I know many managers many many managers who would have been in the stands and hiding behind that. And then had it been a good performance and they won, he would have claimed it. And and now it's not been a very good performance. He would have said, well, you know, I haven't started yet. I know of many of them. We could all name them who do that sort of who who do all that. So fair play to him for not hiding behind this nonsense of saying, well, I'm going to take an overview. 
he just went in there and picked the team that he thought was right. We talk about kids. Listen, Hamlet is a kid, don't forget. You know, he doesn't have to be English kids. He picked the team he thought, right? Mason Mount, I, I, I think it's been fantastic. However, he has been part of a Chelsea team that have underperformed. And if that's the way he wants to go and pick in his first team, that's fine. We clearly can't judge. I'm sure Matt isn't just judging on that game. Um and we will just have to wait and see. But as I say, I, I admire him for going in there and saying, right, well, this straight away, I'm not going to be hired behind getting used to the place or coming in and not having seen him. I'm going to come in. It's my team. I'm sending him out there with my tactics, which, you know, didn't look, you know, particularly, you know, enticing yesterday. But we'll, we'll, we'll see how they go. They got, is it Burnley this weekend? Yeah. Burnley. They'll, 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 have another, they'll have another 80% of possession and we'll see if they can do better than their mastermind passer this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Jeremy, I mean, looking at the week that was at Chelsea, it, Thomas Thomas Tuchel, yeah, my friends in the German media tell me he's not particularly welcome back at Mines. He's not particularly welcome back at, at, at Borussia Dortmund. It, you know, he, he basically called it on with the, the PSG hierarchy um, in, in his final season months ago it, it would be fair to say he kind of ruffles feathers in the hierarchy in particular you know he had a very sort of high profile fallout about transfer policy with the PSG hierarchy as well <laughs> I mean you know Lampard we're given to believe you know all sorts of political issues all sorts of issues behind the scenes I have to say if there if there was blimey that makes what he did last season even more impressive getting in the top four see have that done it um, <laughs> and then basically you know yeah. Is this what we expect from Chelsea and a Chelsea appointment, basically? Argumentative, you know, probably boom and bust, probably have some good times, followed by, yeah, a fallout, a bitter one at that. Yeah. I thought it was quite telling that um, he, he's he got an, an initial contract of 18 months. I know there's mm. a 12-month option on there, but when managers generally get big jobs, they get a lot far longer contracts than, mm. than 18 months. So that is clearly Abramovich saying to, to Tuchel, let's see what you've got for a year, let's see where we're at, and then we'll, you know, we'll have another look at the end of the next season. If they're in the top four and they've maybe picked up a trophy between now and then, then fine. But he has got a massive job. And mm. he, I was going to do a column on it for tomorrow, but when you do a bit of background on Tuchel, he's clearly a very stubborn guy, single-minded. He's been sort of labelled a mad sort of genius, very obsessive about things. Look, if, if he's an abrasive character, then I fear that that's only going to end one way because Abramovich just, just doesn't, as we have seen with Lampard, he just doesn't take any prisoners. He, 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 will, he, won't, he won't take kindly to, to a manager disobeying whatever instructions he chooses to give him. So I fear it will probably end in tears. Yeah, how long it lasts, that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? But it'll be fascinating to see how things pan out, that's for sure. Wouldn't it be good to see? Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be good to see a, a manager? You know, it was a bit abrasive, maybe towards the ownership yeah. because it's done no one else any good. You know, you go the same way, don't you? You know, Frank's the nicest man in football. Look what's happened to him. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I, I, I would love it if, when it all ends as well, we don't get you know Frank's statement um, via the LMA, and there was all this. You know, I think everyone took to the you know and said, "Oh, what a classy statement, dignified." I mean, we, we see that all the time. Like, wouldn't it be great if someone actually just did an unclassy statement, an undignified statement? You know, and did actually, the last unclassy one? I, don't, I can't remember one. It's always it's, They're always thanking the ownership for whatever and wishing everyone all the best. For the yeah, the when really, what you want to say is, yeah. thanks for turning me over. Thanks for the job not being what it is. And by mm. the way, as for the players, I'm not going to thank them because half of them didn't try a leg. They were all doing whatever. And by the way, I hope you go down. See you later. 
Yeah, of course it's not. Yeah. You're thanking Mr. Abramovich for, you know, the, the big payoff and I'm and, and, and wishing Chelsea well to always have a place in my heart. No, I'll always be looking at the results, hoping you get turned over. That's yeah. what the statement should be saying. Yeah, and I'd love it. Say, and maybe Chelsea will come live, out with that. We live that in a sterilised world, pal, where, where basically exactly. if a manager has a go at a Messi journalist... Messi CMA, no more classy, dignified statements. Tell it as it is. Mate, it's it, you know it becomes a big Twitter storm. I'm sorry, what an absolute <laughs> joke! What an absolute joke! E- either the people on that, experienced journalists, albeit on 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 Twitter, basically sort of saying, uh, you know, oh gosh, what an what an absolute shocker Frank's done for there. Have either never got close enough to a story or or a manager to ever experience the like. But I'm sure us four on here have all had that down the years. It's a, it's a rite of passage. And I applaud for Lampard for, for having a having a shot back. I'm sure the journalists concerned didn't you know didn't mind well, that, in the least. Just others, others that seem to be upset. Come on, it wasn't a great. See, yeah, how long do you think Tuchel's going to last at Stamford Bridge? No, listen, I think it'd be 18 months. And I, to be honest, I think he'll do well. I think he'll yeah. do well because yeah. he'll just he'll bring in. It's how Chelsea operate, and I have to say. You know, from from my you know kind of just little uh, you know sound point here on the on the sort of kind of on, on the mic. I just think Chelsea, do, you know, Chelsea will do what they want, and it's it's eighteen years now under Abramovich. He's led the club to remarkable success year in year out. Trophies. We shouldn't expect anything different. The reason I expected something different is because Lampard's status as a club legend. That's yeah. why I was naive. I got it wrong. I thought they'd treat him a little bit better than they did. I thought they'd give him a little bit more time because of his status. And I thought what he did also in his first season, which I still think is remarkable. But listen, you, you cannot knock Chelsea's record. I, I think that, you know, they, they deliver trophies year in, year out. They're always in the news. I think what Abramovich has done, by the way, uh, for Chelsea and for English football has been revolutionary. I really mean that. I also think what he's done as an owner um, during lockdown has put others um, to shame in the Premier League, you know, generous to to a fault. It basically, I think as Matt Barlow said in the in the Daily Mail the other day, it's his train set. If he wants yeah. to take it home, then totally then agree. then that's his that's his prerogative, and he can do. But it's just the treatment of a club legend that surprised me. Do you that's think the only, yeah, if it'd been Joe Bloggs from elsewhere? Do you think Lampard got that job too soon in his career? Because you've got to remember, he was—he had barely any experience whatsoever. It was a unique set of circumstances. Ordinarily, I would say yes. But basically, it was a unique set of circumstances. It was the kids. It was the transfer ban. It was doing something completely different. Because I guarantee you that if another manager had been brought in who wasn't ready to embrace those kids under a transfer ban, having sold their very best player uh, of the last five years or so, then it would have been mid-table. But the reason was they got Lampard, they got his energy, they got his, you know, legendary status. They pulled it all together with the kids and they got top four. So you That's think they used it, they used him to get through a sticky, sticky spot? I suppose you could see it like that. And he, he and he achieved it. And I think he, I think he I think he did well. But but there you go. But guys, listen, I'm very just... conscious of the fact we've taken up almost all of the show on two, two items. So let's let's get through through some more. And while we're on sticky spots, um, uh, Matt Dunn, we'll we'll come to you. What, what, what a wonderful <laughs> link that was. Seamless um, link. <laughs> Liverpool Spurs is the sticky spot that I'm talking about. Oh, not right, yours, but basically, you know, listen. It, 
two clubs. I mean, I heard Harry Kane earlier on the radio saying that basically, you know, Liverpool are going through what we went through about three weeks ago, basically a run of results without any, without any wins. You know, it is an amazing sort of, you know, showdown tonight. Um, but also, does it signify how quickly things can turn, how, think, how things can go? Um, you, you know, for, for clubs in the Premier League, even these two amazing clubs. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you know how many teams have topped the Premier League this season? I totted it. I don't. But yeah, I'm sure you're going to tell me. Save, save a boring call. It's nine. No, nine teams no, have topped the won't. Premier League this season. So saying, oh well, we were top of the tenth Premier League the other week means nothing. Half the Premier League were top of the Premier League this season, mm. and that includes Arsenal on the first day of the season. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, so hitting the top uh, uh, is, means nothing this season. It's all been that tightly congested. With the games split as they are, you get people overnight on top. Southampton have been top. Everton have been top. Um, you know, it, it, so when Spurs hit the top, it was only because their fixtures fell kindly. They had a couple of easier ones. They won them. Then they they, they dropped a couple of points. It's been changing like that all season. Um, so I don't think there's a jinx of teams hitting the top. I just think it's just a churn. Uh, and the only difference for that is as this churn continues, slowly Manchester City are emerging. Uh, and the surprise is that Liverpool haven't emerged with them because they are the two standout teams in this division, um, you would think, on paper. Um, Liverpool have been massively hampered by Van Dijk, uh, more so than anyone there will admit because it's affected their attacking ability because the defence are too deep. Yeah, they've missed influential midfielders have had to play in defence. So, and that's why I think overall, with all the odd results and whatever, when these all level out, why they're probably about six or seven points behind where they should be. Spurs are about where that where they you'd expect them to be, um, because they haven't quite got what it takes to roll out relentless results because of Mourinho's tactics. He won't, or because of his players' failures to carry out his instructions, he'll have it because he keeps telling them that I tell them to attack, you know, they're supposed to, but they can't kill off games. And so that's why they've dropped stupid points um, against teams that they should have beaten. What they are good at, Spurs, is when the mood's right, is they can beat the very best teams in the Premier League, which is what Liverpool have got to watch out for tonight because if Spurs are on it, they could do a job on them again. And, and suddenly Liverpool's season does look in real trouble because, you know, they're, they're falling further away from Manchester City. Um, that said, Spurs also have the capability of making defensive errors um, and letting Liverpool beat them. So I think this is a really important game for both those teams for their different ambitions. Spurs want to finish in the top four. Liverpool want to win the title. Um, I think tonight's result could determine whether they achieve those aims you know, as far down the line as you know, four months away. You know, we were both on Jose's press conference yesterday on his Zoom, Matt, weren't we? And I felt that yeah. Jose trying to trying to sort of suggest that oh, I've got I've got another injury up my sleeve, which I, I believe is, is Sergio Reguilón, is basically he, he was trying to level up. I felt as if you know Liverpool think they've got it bad, but basically so have we because they have got you know they have got issues at full at fullback, I guess, haven't they? But but we'll see ahead of time. Yeah, but I mean Ben Davis is fit again, so it's it's one of those. That's why I think. Jose I don't know. He's trying to me. 50-50, so let's see. But he's a definitely a different defender, isn't he, from Reguilón? Reguilón has been... Oh, yeah, no, Reguilón's been one of these standout yeah. signings yeah. from the summer, I think. He's been superb player for Spurs yeah, and yeah, puts yeah. a lot of energy on that flank against Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, uh, so no, he's yeah. an important player. And if he's missing tonight, as, as like you say, we suspect, then um, then I think uh, he could be in... Uh, yeah, it could make it hard for them. But, but that's Jeremy... 
Do, do you think that Liverpool, does their season fade and die if they don't, if they don't sign that other centre-half? And, and I just also wanted to get your take. There's a lot of kickback, isn't there, on, on, on social media? You know, almost, you know, particularly from our from our learned colleagues on, on Merseyside about FSG. You know, why on earth aren't they sticking there? You know, what I took from it was don't have a go at, you know, Reese Williams. It's not his fault. Have a go at FSG. Basically, stick your hands in your pockets. That's how I read it. I don't know different from that. Yeah, I, no, I, I was a bit I, surprised by that. FSG are brilliant owners, but there you go. But, I am you know. surprised that they haven't signed a defender. I'm shocked, actually, because... That has been their downfall this season. And it makes me think that Van Dyke might be coming back sooner than we thought. That I don't know. But I was also shocked that that that, that the owners would be criticized because I think mm. Liverpool arguably are the best run club in the Premier League. 100%. They are so well organized behind the scenes. They do the transfer business so well compared to other clubs um on that level. And they they are very, very efficient. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of frustration on the red half of Merseyside at the minute. But I am stunned that they've not even signed a loan, even if it's just a loan player till the end of the season. But we know hard it's hard to get players in, in January of a, of a certain quality. But surely, surely, surely Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp are capable of bringing in someone that can plug a gap for four or five months. Yeah, no, I agree. And Andy, it made me laugh this week. There's been a lot of kind of talk about the Arsenal, you know, former Arsenal player now, Socrates, who, who basically mm. played under Klopp at, at Dortmund. You know, basically, I think Arsenal fans finding the prospect quite funny. Liverpool mm. fans finding it quite worrying. And then basically those of us who probably from a sort of kind of objective point of view thought, well, actually it might make a bit of sense really short-term yeah. signing because he's just a body an experienced body and he didn't really let Arsenal down. He really didn't at all. And it was just, I, I, you know, I'm not saying it was necessarily going to be him, but it's just that, that concept, that loan just yeah. might, you know, or, or a short-term deal just might've gotten through. Yeah, I, 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 it, it is difficult to get players in, difficult to get a high-class defender in in the January transfer window, you know, um, particularly when, when when Liverpool's need is is widely known. So, so you know, the, the costs will go up. Um, I, I find it odd. I mean, I find odd that, that, that Klopp hasn't said, or well, presumably he has, or, or to the recruitment department, listen, you know, let's go out and try and source a centre-half. And they haven't come up with anyone, or at least they haven't come up with a... Proposal that is economically um, satisfactory to the ownership, which seems to be the case. It seems to be they're not going to, you know, um, spend money and are asking him to do it from within. And, and it is quite clear that, you know, I mean, don't, don't forget the Gomez injury only compounded the injury to, to Van Dyke and to have those two missing. Joel Matip cannot be relied upon to be to be fit. And of course, Lovren went in the summer. So it's a, it's a perfect storm, uh, a perfect central defensive storm that's hit them. Um, and, and, and let's be clear, you know, both um, Rhys Williams and um, the other, Nathaniel Phillips, I think, who's also um, been in there, neither are, are quite at the moment up to um, regular Premier League standard. And then, of course, we all know what happens when you, you have a stopgap sent half in Fabino and Henderson um, on occasions that the midfield um, is, is considerably weakened. Plus, as good as Fabino does as a deputy, he's still not a centre half. And that um, was shown, I think, you know, in certain moments. Certainly, it was shown in the moments when, when he was culpable, well, half culpable, as well as Allison, when the penalty was conceded against Burnley. 
And obviously gave away, rather naively, gave away the free kick that led to Manchester United to win it in the FA Cup um, the other day. So it all, it all mounts up. Yes, I mean, I, listen, all you can say is that I, I, I am very surprised, as, as difficult as it is, as problematic as it is, they have known that Van Dijk, you know, Van Dijk's been injured for some considerable time and the automatic assumption was it was going to be for the rest of the season. Yes, he might come back, but it would only be for a few games probably. So they've known about this a long time. It is difficult to get a centre-half in during a transfer window, but they have had two or three months to actually to go out and do that before the window opens. Uh, and they have, got, they have got the most lauded technical recruitment department in the Premier League. You know, they are not sort of, you know, no one is shy of giving the credit to that department. Um, and quite rightly so, considering some of the, the moves that have come off. But on this occasion, you wonder actually what they've been doing. October the 17th, Andy. That yeah. Van Dyke was injured. That's yeah. an incredible amount of time. Gomez, start of November. Mm-hmm. That's weeks. They're the best, one of the best teams in the world to play for. So mm-hmm. that's a selling point when you're trying to bring players in. Yes. And like we say, they've got money. Um, yes. If they're willing to spend it. When already, if they lose tonight, they've lost 11 points during January while the window, they could have had someone in at the start of January. They've mm-hmm. lost 11 points and been knocked out of the cup. If their season unravels, You've got to point to that period yeah. uh, mm-hmm. under what they're doing. And this is the mistake they've, this is clearly the mistake they've made, not having yes. cover in place for January the 1st. I think yeah. a draw tonight would be a really now. good result for Liverpool. I think they, they can't yeah, lose. Don't lose tonight and you'll be okay. But if they lose tonight, it's free falls, I think. It is free fall and it's it's West Ham on Sunday, which, yeah. which brings me powerfully on to our next thing. The, the, yes. the, the Masoic Moisaya. Um, David Moyes. I mean, what a job that he, what a job that he's doing. I mean, you know, I think up to the Champions League place on the basis of the result the other night. I mean, absolutely astonishing, really. And you know, they just go from strength to strength. All this talk about Declan Rice. I tell you what, I, you know, Declan Rice. What about Thomas Suchek? I mean, really, West Ham's recruitment. Uh, has taken some, uh, uh, you know, criticism, some brickbats in in recent years, but he's an absolute cracker of a player, really is, isn't he? I mean, who wants to sort of take this one? I mean, what a job uh, that Mo- Moisey is doing. Terrific. Can I hold my hand up early? Because I, I thought when um, when Mark Noble's criticising the owners on the eve of the season for their short-sightedness, I, I thought West Ham were really going to struggle, and I think a few of us agreed. Um so to see them where they are, it's down to one man. It has to be Moyes. He's pulled mm. that squad together. Suchek's an incredible player for a West Ham budget. They've finally got someone in that they could afford uh, and uh, that is, does do it week in, week out for them. Doesn't then think, doesn't seem to have got the idea that got the big I am like one of their previous uh, celebrity players did for, for 12 months. Um, and we'll stick with them and, and drive them possibly even to a European place. Mm. The problem is that's probably going to, destroy the club in the long term because the owners will think, oh, we've cracked it now uh, uh, and then make some other decisions in the summer that you know, make some poor signings and decide that they're, they're now a European team and uh, and probably undo all the good work. But but in the midst of it all, Moyes, he, he swallowed his pride at being sacked the first time, came back and has done an outstanding job. Uh, and it's the manager again that he was a decade ago uh, and overachieving with a team that, that has no right to be sort of where they are in terms of resources. And, you know, it's, it's Everton Moyes again. Uh, and we've, we haven't seen that probably since he went to Manchester United. No, I agree. I agree. I must say Everton overachieved, you know, always 
quite big payers, you know, on 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 the budget scale. But they're, they're absolutely fantastic under under Moyes, you know, for a p- period of five or six years. Ridiculous overachievement, longer, longer. But it's just um, you know, r- remarkable job that he's doing. And I must say, when uh, I'm going to move it on quickly to mm-hmm. to Big Sam at um, at West Brom. I mean, I have to say, I was there the other night, as I say, and then basically just West Brom appeared to have been getting worse. And it was always a gamble. It was one that basically took a lot of stick forwards, changing Billich for, for, for Allardyce, not least from, from friends in the media even, Andy. And um, yeah. and then basically, you know, this, this, uh, I actually think that, are they getting worse? You know, I mean, I, I, I listen, I thought that Allardyce would struggle to keep them up, but I thought we'd give them a fighting chance. And maybe still will, but they need to do something in the market. Otherwise, surely that managerial change is a waste of time, isn't it? Well, I mean, what what can you do? In, I mean, what 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 reasonably speaking, what what how transformative can you be in the what what, what is it? The final four days is it four days, three days, four days of the transfer window? How transformative can you actually be? How transformative is Robert Snodgrass? I mean, as much as I like him as a, a, a as an honest, you know, player and you know, decent enough, when you're that desperate that you're prepared to sign Robert Snodgrass and actually agree not to play him again in in in, in one game later because you want him that much, you know, to play. And okay, you know, he might have made a bit of a difference in that in that in that win against Wolves, but you know, it just smacks of desperation. And 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 you know, you're linked with you know, you look the big men up front, basically you're linked with I don't know, Andy Carroll, Christian Benteke, I think got mentioned in the um you know, it, it, it's I wouldn't say desperate, but it, it, you know, it, it's clutching at straws in, in the way that Sam knows he has to, quite simply, because he cannot, surely even Sam could not have been um um could not have been expecting. The absolute leatherings they're getting at home. I was there. You were there the other night. I was there when when Arsenal beat them four 0 You know, and and basically declared. You know, when when they were four 0 up in the same way that Manchester City pretty much declared. Um, you know, and, and made a few substitutions. And there's just there's just no, there's no there's no way the the, the I can't see any, any way that I, I think I think the Wolves results. The win at Wolves was probably more of a blip than than the big defeats and and you know as much as as I like Allardyce and you know and I think he's you know he's never ever got the credit he deserves then I think on this one he's he's not high into nothing I just I just cannot see him staying up didn't he didn't he when when he took the job my first thought was he must have been promised a little transfer kitty to to really make some significant strengthening because he will have taken that job knowing full well what a really uphill task he faced and yeah, we're here near yeah. towards the end of the window, and he's, he's start, like you say, he's signed Robert Snodgrass, a, an aging player who's way past his best. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, know that they've got I, any money for permanence, have they? And I no, think probably been not. Struggling for loan fees, probably not. And and, and, and and you know, again, it, it is the dilemma that all owners face. I mean, mm. I mean, would you would you throw big money at it now or good money at it when, when realistically, you know that actually, there's a very good chance that you, that, that you are going to go down regardless of who you sign these last four days, and you're saddled with players, you know, on decent contracts. You know, listen, they're not going to come on contracts that say they get a third of their wages, they go down. They're going to say, you know, if you're a player, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to take one of those reduced fee contracts, are you? Because, yeah. you know, it's a, so I, I understand the balancing act that they've got, you know, are they better off going down and taking the hit, not spending now, and then and then trying to get back? That's the dilemma, and I, I know, which is why I, I, I think Sam probably thought at the time taking the job, let, let's face it, he, he's... He's probably looking at Sheffield United and thinking they're gone, okay? 
So then you are basically there's two relegation places. And Fulham and was, you know, sorry? Fulham was struggling at the time. And Fulham was struggling badly. And and he may have thought that, well, you know what, those two teams are teams that are going down. I, I'm basically now fighting for that last spot, and that would give me a fighting chance. You might get one or two teams drop dramatically like they normally do, but that doesn't look to be the case. Fulham look at far better proposition in terms of uh, of staying up than, than West Brom do. And it's just not worked out. And you just, you, you can't see how it can work out, really. No, thing is, when you appoint a new manager, you, are, you expect a little lift, don't you? You normally see an upturn in yeah. results. And actually, they've been had three or four good old stuff in since, since Big Sam. Yeah, yeah. Was, was, really was his upturn at Anfield? And that's it. Yeah. I, I suspect it. I, I suspect it. I yeah. suspect They're not hard it, to right. beat, are they? Which is not what you expect. Well, that's the first point. Sam Allardyce has a three-point plan. Be hard oh, to beat. Mike, I'd forgotten that Matt. Matt was. A, he's a founder member of Friends. I've quite, Sam, I've friends in the media. Sorry, Sorry. Well, it's the simplicity that he brings to to what he does. He has a three-point plan. Be hard to beat. Get someone who can deliver a decent set piece and get a big lad to put it in the back of the net. He signed Snodgrass to answer one of those points. Mm-hmm. He's not been able to sort out the defence and he needs a striker to, to get them, nick them the goal. If you can yeah. get keep the, it down to nil and one, the chances are by doing those other two things, you'll get enough goals to win a few games and get a few points. That's, that's your sort of emergency package. You put the rest of the layers and build the rest of it on top of that in the summer when you've got time to do that. But but he's not addressed the first point, which is to stop and score conceding goals. And uh, until he gets that sorted, you know, they're not going anywhere. Guardiola called him a genius, didn't he, before the game? I tell you what, if he keeps them up this season, he will be a genius. <laughs> now that's mind games for you. Now listen, I, I'm I'm going to go slightly off off, off piece here, a bit left field here, really, because I do think this week has been a uh, you know a seismic week in in the history of the country. Um, Matt, Matt, your your paper summed it up well, I thought, this week with a hundred thousand uh, deaths, which is a terrible tragedy. A terrible moment in time. Uh, that iconic picture um, of, of Boris Johnson, head bowed in shame, and, and 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 rightly so. It was, you know, it was an incredible front page. I thought in the Daily Express, you know, it had to be, had to be the front page that day. I mean, it's a terrible moment in time. Um, and I do think that basically, it just made me, made me, it really made me think, and. Um, on the back of that, you're still seeing a hell of a lot of, you know, really good work with it within football. And one of the noticeable things is that is those TV adverts. I don't know whether you've seen them with Carlo and Chalotti talking about, you know, sort of urging men to to provide their blood plasma. And Everton, you know, last weekend sort of kind of, you know, story uh, about Carlo Ancelotti, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, a few other players, you know, making calls to to, to fans. I just wanted to highlight the, the work a little bit of, you know, apropos nothing really, but I just thought it deserves some praise. Like a club like Everton, very, very strong in the community, really deserves some praise, I feel. And it, it's football generally, isn't it? Stepping up to the plate in it in our hour of need. And and I guess wall-to-wall football provides that as well, but to a lesser extent, I guess, because we're, we're you know, it's, it's desperate times for a lot of people. But the work in the community, Matt, I think deserves highlighting, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. There's, you hear stories from all over the country of mm. clubs helping out in practical ways, you know, whether it's Jose Mourinho delivering bags of groceries. You know, Spurs have turned over a lot of their facilities for, for various NHS uh, reasons. Um, but other clubs, it's the same. Uh, and what's impressive, I think, is it unilaterally, it's the individuals within football that are finding their own way to be helpful. Um, and, and you know, there are club efforts, but you kind of, 
they have community departments. That's kind of their job. And excellent though it is, it's when you see some of the individual causes uh, that have been fought by people that you think, no, you know, no one's expecting this of you. Uh, and But something is probably expected of all of us in these times of crisis. And, uh, and they are leading the way. It's good that people that we are so quick to criticise when they let themselves down within society are actually are the guiding lights behaving better than some of the politicians behaving better than some of the other people we should be looking to for leadership at this time. Uh, and they're just setting a really good example. And, and I think it's the football's credit that, that they're doing this so publicly and, and so practically as well. It's not just empty words. It's not, just, it's actually practical help to try and try and get us out of what has become a, a significant point of history. Matt's right. And, and also, John, um, you can bet your bottom dollar while we hear of all these well-publicised things like the Rashfords and the players, the captains, things like that, and the clubs giving over um, sections of their facilities to vaccinate people. There'll be loads of stuff going on that you won't have heard of, individual things, players doing something for someone that no one's ever, ever written about or broadcast on the television. There'll be hundreds of examples of real good human kindness and you know look in first lockdown yeah. football you know was criticised in certain in certain forms and um, some of it might have been justified some of it wasn't but you know while football has always been regarded as the problem most of the time it's actually been the solution mm. to a lot of a lot of issues during this last 12 months I, tell you, I, I totally agree everything the lads have said I, I mean it's worth remembering that all the clubs, including Everton, who are, who are, I think, in the vanguard of this type of thing, mm. their work in the community pre-COVID, you know, was exceptional. And, and, and it's something that, now listen, I think there's many reasons why this has developed, not least of which is they're, they're aware of the, of the, of the perception of how, how much money is in the game. I think, I think the awareness of clubs' responsibility, Premier League clubs' responsibility to their communities has increased a lot over recent years, you know, and I say this is before COVID and I think mm. Everton have been in at the forefront of that and other clubs such as Manchester City, all clubs, I would say, pretty much without exception, have accepted over the last decade or so that with the with the, with those crazy numbers that we see comes also responsibility to the community. So I think that's good. Exactly what Jeremy says about individuals. I'll tell you one individual who, I think 10 days ago or a week ago, um, Jay Rodriguez at Burnley, you know, I mean, basically just said off his own bat, Listen, I know people might be struggling sort of with mental health. Then, you know, give me a call, you know, send me a DM. You know, I, I, and, and there were so many, he eventually, I think, had to close the DMs and he responded to them. It was just him just saying to people, listen, if you want to chat, give me a call. You know, I, I might be a Premier League striker, but, you know, you know, drop me a line. And he mm-hmm. did. And, and, and you know what? I, I think Brian Reed's mentioned it in his column today in the Daily Mirror. And talk about karma. Rodriguez, then, who hadn't scored, went out and scored two against Fulham, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and no more. No more deserving character to get that, but that's the type of thing that individuals have been doing mm. without the fanfare, without the w- without the uh, publicity. Maybe that, that some are getting not not for their own publicity, but that we're giving them. No, I totally agree. I just I just think for a lot of people, I understand that wall to wall football is going to be sort of kind of you know some some relief. But we, we, you know, we're we're lucky in this in this situation to to be going to games and for people. You know, in lockdown, I yeah. If you're struggling, if you're struggling mentally, the worst, worst possible thing is to be cooped up and 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 not be able to. You know, exercise is is a wonderful thing. You know, and so I think we overlook the importance of sport and the practical yeah. sense, but also obviously, you know, and what sport can can give back, if you like. And I think football is 
football really deserves that. And I think it's been really, you know, those, those Everton adverts and the, and the, the you know, the, the Anch- when Ancelotti speaks, I, I don't know, it summons something up inside me that makes me think, wow, you know. He's a class act, isn't he, Ancelotti? Yeah. What a class act. Yeah. What an absolute class act. And he emanates that, Jeremy, totally yeah. green, totally, absolutely, you know, fab- fabulous guy. Um Look, it, it, I, I just want to touch on on transfers um, briefly, guys. I mean, it's it's, a, it's been a weird window, isn't it? I don't think anyone has really done. Is anyone anything that's caught no. your eye? I mean, I you know, Arsenal signed <laughs> Martin it's not one of those windows you forget to open, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's been you know, it's been the toilet or has anyone seen anything that's really caught their eye in January? Well, look, Odegaard could be, could be. Yes. Yeah. There's been, I saw this morning, there's been four Premier League transfers in, in January window. Now, Odegaard could well be a really significant one for Arsenal right. because they they are now coming coming strong. I'm not saying they're going to do anything daft like finish top two or anything, but when you look at the league table, they're, they, they're level on points with Chelsea. So if Chelsea are battling for Champions League place, mm. Under Tuchel, surely Arsenal have to be in the same equation. I'm not seeing a lot of him playing. Obviously, he was a bit of a prodigy, wasn't he, from Denmark? But um, no way. And um, things haven't worked out for him in Spain. Let's just hope that um, he's more successful at Arsenal than the last player they signed from Real Madrid. Yes. Who? They signed Mesut from Real Madrid, didn't they? Oh, mate, mate. Look it up, pal. Look it up. Danny Ceballos. He's done all right. the other one. At least he gets a nice fresh shirt with no sweat on it anyway. So that number 11. So uh, he's got a chance. <laughs> oh, well, that's going down, Meza. Boys, right. No, I'm no, 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 just, just, the room. Okay, Go just quickly, I'll tell you what did catch my eye. Is Tamari going from um, Chelsea on loan to, has gone to East Milan? He's gone, isn't he? Yeah, that, that caught my eye a little bit. Because it was, how long ago was it that, that, that he was going to be next big well, He was player. in the England squad, wasn't he? That's what, that's what I was going to say. You know, we've got an England squad named... Um, early in, in March, mid-March. And, yeah. and you know, remember, and, and we thought, you know, well, he's going to be the next one, next cab off the rank and now looking to try and prove himself, isn't he? No, carry on. Yeah, no, he's an interesting one, actually, because yeah. I think very, very quickly on him, I love I, I love yeah. a player. I just think that, blimey, if you were playing, you had this amazing chance to go and live, work abroad and sample. Yeah. You know, that would be such an eye-opener. It would, you know, it would kind yeah. of open your eyes you know, expand your horizons, improve you as a player and as a person. I don't Maybe know whether that's you, what Jesse you, should have chosen to do. Uh, yes. yes. I don't know whether yeah. any of you would uh, have spoken to Tamori. I have. I did a nice sort of, you know, yeah. uh, sit down with him last season. He's such a bright, intelligent guy. Um, mm. He's a really nice, you know, fella to talk to. I wish him all the success in the world. And Italian football can be very good for defenders, as we know. I know. Think, Chris Moore. <laughs> about the opportunity to go and prove yourself. But guys, I'm going to yeah. go around the room. Uh, I don't know. Does anyone want to kind of accept this? Sort of, you know, shall I let you, shall I let Matt and Jeremy go first? Well, Johnny has to go last. No, no I haven't got, no, honestly. What are we talking about? Oh, Jeremy, you're first. An- anecdote, best story, best deal, crazy headline day happening. Tell us. Me? Yes. <laughs> Well, this, this this always makes me chuckle. It was back in 2015. De Gea was supposed to be going to Real Madrid. Carlos Navas was coming in the opposite direction. It was a massive, massive deal, this, because De Gea was so desperate to get to Real Madrid and the whole thing collapsed, according to Real Madrid, because their fax machine was yeah. broken, if you remember. 
Anyway, I was obviously the guys who were writing the story at the time were just thinking, this is absolute madness. It said Man United, Man United were absolutely seeding. Woodward released a statement. He absolutely slaughtered Real Madrid. It was the end of any sort of what remained of any relation between the two clubs. And about a few days later, I just thought to myself, these arguably the two biggest clubs in the world. Why are they why are they still using a fax machine? When did anyone around in this conversation last use a fax machine? Yeah. Twenty years yeah. ago, maybe? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, okay it, all fell through, it all fell through and it all, it all became a farce. It, it's looked so shambolic on both both clubs. It was laughable. Mm, absolutely. No, it's a bit 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 oh. longer. Maybe Man United bought a share in Canon or HP yeah. or something and basically put them all on the blink so he had to stay put. But <laughs> a wonderful conspiracy theory. Matt. Well, what my favorite story is one that um uh it, from your neck of the woods in 2014. Uh, Arsenal had just signed Danny Welbeck uh, and then we're talking to Wenger about it afterwards and then having our little huddle that we used to have yeah. at the time and then just casually drops in this conversation and he said um, of course uh, I've got to credit the Pope with us signing Danny Welbeck and we're like hang on a sec you're going to have to tell us more about this he said well I had to I, I was going to sign I think it was for Liverpool at the time he was being linked with, uh, and that Tottenham, deal, oh, Tottenham, 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 wasn't it? Uh, and that that deal, it looked like all, all all towards the end of the window, he was going to Spurs, and then he said, "I got, I had to get up really early to fly out to Rome um, because I had to meet the Pope, and if I hadn't been awake, I looked at my phone and saw that this Amen. Spurs deal might be falling down. So if it hadn't been for me getting up to the Pope, I wouldn't have realised that I could get on it and snatch him away. So that that, that became a great, you know, how the Pope." Yeah, five years later. Sorry, divine intervention. Divine intervention. The Pope. It was the Pope. What done it? Five years later, when he's busy trying to flog the second best book on his career um, that's ever been written, um, and uh, he's he's telling everyone. (laughs) (laughs) He's telling everyone the deal nearly fell down because uh, because the Pope was trying to interrupt to get a photo taken. Uh, and it was almost like like a good Catholic after 16 goals in five years. He was trying to suggest that the Pope was trying to give him the sign the other way. But uh, but yeah, it just amused me that that story had changed yeah. given that it didn't quite work out for him. But uh, No, no. I tell you what, it was, it's funny actually because w- when he was doing that round of interviews, and there's a great story, wasn't there, at the time, I don't know whether you remember, when, when basically Arsenal did sign Danny Welbeck, England were training at London Colney using the Arsenal training ground. And the story at the time was that Mikel Arteta, showing obviously great managerial you know, qualities even then. And Per Mertesack had cornered Danny Welbeck in the Arsenal gym and basically said, right, what's your situation, basically? You know, we need a striker. And two senior Arsenal pros, basically, you know, kind of almost brokered the deal, said, are you available? He says, yes. Do you want to come? Yes. And basically, you know, put it on Wenger, go and sign someone because Wenger, as, as we well know, in a lovable sort of way, would hesitate with the very, very best of them, particularly when it came to strikers. Um, and then basically, anyway, I think people, Wenger was doing a round of a round of interviews and basically did one, I forget who it was with, but basically mentioned the Pope and they sold this as a big exclusive about the kind of, you know, Wenger's amazing Pope recollection i was thinking oh that's interesting i didn't know that and then i thought for about five minutes i thought uh yes i did and it was basically <laughs> what goes around comes around and then what's old is new and you forget all these stories and then the disappointing thing about that was that i thought that you know wenger's own book would just have like bucket loads of those little anecdotes because he's a brilliant storyteller yeah. 
really was. And it was, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a missed opportunity. But there you go. Yeah. It's, it's still an absolute legend in, 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 in my eyes. But there you go. I'm sure you don't need to be told that. Andy, your favourite? I, I agree with that, by the way. Someone bought me Wenger's book for Christmas and, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm reading it now um, most nights and it, it is just missed opportunity, you'd say, John, boring, you could actually say. It reads his over things. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. I, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed now. Listen, I'll tell you what, the transfer stories, I mean, 17 languages like other Wenger books, you know. Sorry? I'm making not- 17 languages. Like <laughs> Shameless. <laughs> yeah, imagine the old gang though, does it? Like, you know, I'm fluent in 17 languages and I talk nonsense in all of them. But anyway, <laughs> there you go. Um, oh, deadline. No, I, I haven't got any actual deadline there. You know, I was thinking though, um, how transfers were done differently. And, and, and just up, up here where I am in Leafy Cheshire, just down the road is a farmhouse um, uh, a couple of miles into the countryside here. And it's where basically the Shearer to Newcastle deal was done. And I always remind now that wasn't quite on deadline day. I think that was probably, I don't know if memory serves me right, it was probably sort of uh, maybe early August or or end of July. It was round about then, and before the start of the season. It wasn't was, the last was minute the job. Day then, was there? Sorry? There wasn't no, a deadline. No, day. there was there was a deadline day. Then no, no I, I, actually, you're exactly right to remember. The other one I was going to mention was Rob Jones going from Crew to Liverpool, and that was actually in in October. In, in, in on October day, I looked it up to see when it was because I remember that was that was that was a great one because Graham Sooners had come to watch um, another player, Steve Walters, actually on the Tuesday night, and um, uh, ready with a bid, and uh, he saw Rob Jones, it was a teenage Rob Jones, playing as a makeshift right back for Crew. Liked him, and then, and basically, we got wind of this on the Wednesday, Thursday. We told Rob that, that actually, you know what? As soon as he's there, he's going to sign you. He wouldn't believe us. We're not believers, you know. And when I think when he got the call from soon as he thought it was some guy putting on a false Scottish accent, like you know, sort of hey, you Jimmy sort of type thing. And yeah, don't be winding me up, lads. Phone down and whatever. It, it convinced it was him. Went to sign for Liverpool on the Friday afternoon. Um, signed for Liverpool on the Friday afternoon. Hadn't met his teammates. Was then told by Soonish, listen, you're playing Sunday and you're marking Ryan Giggs at Old Trafford. And bear in mind, he'd only ever sat in the crew dressing room and they played all nice tippy tappy football. Soonish comes in ahead of the game, introduces him to John Barnes, Steve McMahon, whatever, and then gives a team talk that you know that is not not repeatable here. Um, you know, and 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 Rob is, is is literally sat there, sort of pretty much quaking, you know, in in his in, in his new football boots. Has a storming game, marks Giggs out the game, finishes nil nil. And he goes on to play for England and, you know, was, was grateful Hill. Sadly, his career was cut short by injury. That's one of my transfer tells. Just quickly on the other one, was with John Road here, when Shearer was was going from Blackburn, and obviously it was it was Newcastle um, and Manchester United interested. And what he did, this is a little known, but he he, he got he borrowed a, a farmhouse retreat here in the countryside and invited Keegan and Ferguson to come and, and meet him in this hideaway. It's a pal's hideaway. I'll leave it to you to guess which pal lent in this farmhouse in, in, in Leafy Cheshire, not far from Crew. Um, and then um, Keegan was in first. Uh, and Keegan comes in first, you know, whatever, and he leaves it from Sam. So Fergie um, rocks up. And this is how, how it used to be done. No, no, no sort of like, you know, agents of this and blah, blah. I'm sure eventually there was one involved. And Fergie comes in, he says, listen, you know, He's seen Keegan go out the drive, like or, or whatever. He's 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 got into to shit and said, "Listen, you know, am I wasting my time here? You know, you just seen your you know Keegan here, you here in Newcastle. Am I wasting my time?" He's well, well, maybe not, maybe not. 
Anyway, so he sort of offers him this, offers him that, says this, says that. And then Shearer apparently said to Ferguson, he says, um, just one question, um, Alex, the priest relative. Mm-hmm. Yes, he says, um, we'll take the penalties. He says, why? Well, he says, well, we'll take the penalties if we join. He says, well, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you're obviously being consideration, but we've got an accountant, oh, don't forget, taking the penalties at the time, like, you know. And then that was it. He'd, he'd asked Keegan the same question and said, let's all take the penalties. And Keegan's gone, mate, you're taking every penalty going, goal kicks, corners, the lot, whatever you want. <laughs> and of course, Vegas just said, well, look, I'm, I'm not saying that was a clinching point, but, but, but you know, that, that, that gave you an inset into the mindset of Shearer, by the way, yeah. apart from anything else. He was never going to join anyway, I suppose, but that, that was a pinch. Yeah. But it was an interesting insight into how, how it was done then, you know, what? How long ago was that? 25 years ago, I would have thought, yes. 96, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah An insight into how it was done that, you know, I, I bet you half the time now, managers don't even meet their big signers before they sign them. So no, this no, took no. place on your doorstep, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I missed that one as well. Another one after the Canton after all, Yes, exactly, mate. I missed that. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, I recognised him. That was in the days of when they were probably in, in disguise, you know, when they used to wear disguises and stuff. Yeah. God, dear, I did. Didn't, it, wasn't, wasn't it, it wasn't an England manager. I think it might be been Allardyce. In, interviewed at the house of the, of the, of the, of the chairman of the yeah. Daily Mirror. Do you remember well, that? Well, well, oh, yes. Do you me- I think I remember the chairman's name. <laughs> it would have been nice to have had the call, you know. But yes. <laughs> but, do you remember, but do you remember those days when they actually used to meet it? I mean, listen, we're not going that far back when when they would meet in hotel. I mean, I mean even, going for, even going back to um, Jose Marino and, and um, Ashley Cole. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you're meeting in a hotel. I mean, I mean when people oh, used to meet. Better though, done it. Do you remember when Kerbs was interviewed for the England job in his brother's house? Yeah. You know, and, and it's like... Yeah. I, know, I know, I know. Before Zoom. Well, they absolutely, certainly before social media. Blimey, it wouldn't have stood a chance. But guys, thank you so much. I, I know we've slightly overrun, so I do hope you enjoy the bonus edition, really. But um, but I really appreciate you. So good to talk. We, we could stay all day. So massively appreciate your time. Thanks very much indeed. And thanks so much, everyone, for, for joining. Really enjoyed it this week. An absolute bumper edition. We got through a hell of a lot of subjects. And uh, I really hope you enjoy it half as much as we all have, I'm sure. So thanks so much for joining. Nice to see you. Same place, same time next week. Thanks, guys.